Hey, well, thanks for being here tonight. Thank you for, uh, if you're new, special welcome. Um, and a couple things. The, uh, the fall conference is really fun. And it's a great time to meet other students from both here at Connect, but also from Pitt, Penn State, even though we're playing them. We need a love, love our enemies. Um, also, just there's like 11 RUFs schools going, so all around the mid-Atlantic, so it's fun. Um, so if you have the time, and if you want to go, love to have you. If you need help with money, please talk to me. Um, let me just say a couple things about yesterday. I was not here. I was actually at a minister's retreat in Pennsylvania. Um, and then I got all these texts from people saying, look at this, this is crazy stuff going um, One thing I'll say is, like, when you notice Jesus, when he preaches uh, to the broken, to the sinner, um, he typically really, really, uh, number one, he respects people and he has incredible dignity. When he, he's, he sees them as made in the image of God, whether or not they're the worst sinner or whatever. He has incredible respect. So you don't see him like shouting at people, calling people names. Um, you see him with people like the woman at the well, okay, who was an adulteress, etc. But like incredible compassion, uh, conversation, breaking all kinds of barriers, gender barriers, um, race barriers, to just to get and talk with her. Um, so you have you have him really showing compassion and warmth to um, to sinful people, tax collectors, Zacchaeus, inviting him over to his house, personal conversations. You know who he really goes after? The Pharisees and the religious. He, those are the ones that he like will get into conflict. And even with those guys, as you're going to see tonight, he's very conversational. <clears throat> and he is not, he's not, again, he's respecting them. Um, he is he is uh, empathizing with them, and uh, his approach is nothing like I think what you probably saw out there if you were out there, and from what I heard. Um, so, and also too, where do we go to find out? You know, how do we how do we evangelize? Or how do we go to the Bible? We go to the Bible and we see like, is this true? Is this wrong? And so, um, you know, I would encourage you. To you know, to really be in prayer about what happened because it's obviously brought a lot of people angst and everything. Um, number one, don't be afraid. Um, there's been like I've been here 14 years. There's been other times when people like that have come. They've come and they've gone, and they'll, and like they're like they they come in for like a one shot deal and then they're out. Um, the campus ministries that are here, there's so many really good ones, um, and so we're just gonna keep doing our thing. Loving Jesus, we love his word, we love the campus, that's who RUF is, um, and so we're glad you're here. We have been going through um, the parables of Jesus, we're calling it the Upside Down Kingdom, so if you're familiar with Stranger Things, Drew Dempsey did this little graphic for us, but what I'm saying is we're in the Upside Down right now. We're in a broken world, we're in a place where there's sin and death. Um, and actually, Jesus is the one breaking in for good. He's breaking in. He's bringing his kingdom to bear in this world. And so the parables are really showing us what Jesus is like and what his kingdom's all about. His kingdom of love, his kingdom of joy, his kingdom of righteousness. And so tonight we're, we're looking at the parable. It's probably the most popular known parable in all of the parables. 
the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, it's so popular, there's even laws that are called like Good Samaritan laws. A few years ago, um, there was a law passed, and I think on campus it's applicable. But if you were partying and one of your friends is uh, passed out on the floor, you call 911, you get help right away. You're not gonna get in trouble. Okay, I hope you're not doing it. But that's the point is that 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 is like trying to help people. So so this idea of the Good Samaritan, this biblical parable, is well known and it's even become laws. There's things like Samaritan's Purse and um, this idea. So we're talking about parables. We're gonna look at this one. Um, and uh, we're gonna kind of break it down, but Last week we looked at the rich man and Lazarus and we saw the end of the selfish life, right? And we saw that God condemns the selfish and the greedy. And the, the poor man, Lazarus, who was relying um, by faith, he goes up to heaven to be with Father Abraham. And ultimately that parable is about relying on God's word um, as your only hope uh, for life and death. Relying on God's word, his promises. That's crazy that's a crazy claim but that's what the Bible is saying it's saying that this thing that we're going to read in a second is more powerful than anything on this earth that heaven and heaven and earth will pass away but my word will never pass away that's a crazy claim but that's what God is saying about his word it's truth and it's eternal and it'll last forever and so with that let me pray and we're going to read the parable of the Good Samaritan Lord, thanks. Thank you for this night. Thank you for everyone that's here. And Lord, we just pray that you would touch us with your spirit, that you would change us as a result of reading your word and thinking about it, that you would reach us wherever we are, whatever issues that are going on in our lives, that you would uh, speak to us and make your will known in our lives. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Let's hear God's word. And behold, a lawyer, now this isn't a, like a law student, this is a religious lawyer who knows the law. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desired to justify himself and said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think 
proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And he said, the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Okay, so now when most people read this parable, they, they see this picture of the Good Samaritan who was doing these amazing deeds and helping this man who's been beaten up, left for dead beside the road. And we see an example of incredible love, sacrifice, and service as the man gives his time, his money to help him recover, right? It's a picture of sacrificial love. So most people think of this parable and they say, well, what God wants me to do is love and serve and help those in need. And that is true. But I want to say that really what this is saying, the main thing this is saying is that this is a parable about how to be right with God. Because the man came up to him and asked the biggest question you could ever ask Jesus. How can I have eternal life? How can I have eternal life? And so Jesus in turn tells this parable. And so we would think, okay, now this must be about if I do these things, I will be saved. But that's not what it's saying. So help, let, me, let me unpack this. Because really ultimately what the Bible says is we can't do anything in and of ourselves to save ourselves. And Jesus is going to show this guy. This is personal evangelism Jesus is doing with this lawyer. He's literally doing personal evangelism. And he's not shouting at him. He's not on the mall calling him out. He's having a conversation with him. And he's telling him in a parable story form uh, the truth of the gospel and who he is. Okay? And so the point Jesus is making is <clears throat> he wants to totally show us that we can't do anything to have eternal life. He wants to totally destroy this guy's foundations of what he thinks is righteous so that he will understand that he needs a righteousness outside of himself to save him. Okay? So this is personal evangelism. And Jesus is going to show him that, like, he doesn't love people. And guess what? I don't love people either. And I bet if you were honest with yourself, you would say, like, you don't love people either. And so this is what Jesus is saying. And so how can we be right with God? First thing is you've got to understand that you're broken got to understand that you can't keep the law. You're a sinner. Um, and so Jesus really wants to devastate this man's pride. Uh, in fact, what do we see? The lawyer comes up to him and it says in verse 25, he's not even honest. He's saying, he's coming up to test Jesus. He's, he's hearing Jesus speaking, right? It says he stood up. So Jesus must have been teaching the word of God. So the guy stands up, but he's standing up his motive is to test him. And if you know anything about the New Testament, this is what the religious leaders were always trying to do. They were always, always trying to trick Jesus. They were always trying to get him to trip up so that they could accuse him of something and ultimately that, so that they could destroy his ministry and ultimately so that they could destroy him and get him out of there. Because too many people were following him and he was a threat to the status quo of the religious and so Jesus is literally in this conversation trying to destroy all the foundations this guy has to stand on, right? And so 
He puts him to the test. Uh, he's, not, he's not really honest. And even this idea that he's putting Jesus to the test shows that he's like all about self-justification. He's thinking, I understand what truth is. This Jesus guy, I'm going to catch him in something. He's not, I don't really believe him. And so he was probably, probably trying to get him in, into a false saying. Um, and ultimately what this is showing, though, is that he wasn't trusting Jesus and what Jesus was saying. He was trusting himself. He was trusting his own knowledge. He was trusting his own understanding of the world. And basically, guess what? This is what people do ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Remember, Adam and Eve are in the garden. The serpent comes to them and basically challenges God's word and said, don't trust that. Trust yourself. Trust yourself. Like, you don't need God. In fact, if you eat of the fruit, you can become like God. So don't worry about what he says, the one who created you and loves you and gave you this beautiful garden. Don't worry about him. Trust yourself and put God to the test. This is what the lawyer's doing, and I dare say this is what we do. We, we tend to like just trust ourselves, trust our own authority, and this is ultimately what sin is. It's like saying, I'm not really going to listen to God and his word. I'm just going to figure out life on my own. I'm going to be autonomous. I'm going to be the captain of my own soul. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so this is really what the sin nature is. I'm going to not listen to God. I'm going to listen to self. And so, so you can see his sin being revealed, right? He's testing, testing Jesus. Secondly, he fails to keep the law. And so Jesus engages with him. He's gracious. Okay, he knew he was testing him, but he doesn't just like blow him off. He like continues the conversation. And he says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You're the lawyer. And lawyers were religious guys who knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. Okay, they were part of the religious elite. And so this guy knew his Bible. He knew his Old Testament. <clears throat> backwards and forwards. And so Jesus asks him this question, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he says, quoting from Leviticus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, actually it was Deuteronomy, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. <clears throat> so the man quotes Deuteronomy, he knows his Old Testament, and Jesus says, absolutely, if you do this, if you can love God with your whole being, your heart, mind, soul, and strength, the totality of who you are, your will, your motives, if you can love God in your actions, if you can love God and neighbor, perfectly all the time 24 7 then you will have life but guess what he can't he can't do that but he thought he could and so uh what jesus does is and i mean first the first thing is the ten commandments god gave us to show us a few things number one the ten commandments the moral law um you know don't have any other gods before you don't take the lord's name in vain you know, don't murder, steal, etc. Don't commit adultery, honor the Sabbath. I got them all over the place. But the Ten Commandments were given to show Israel how to live, but ultimately it was to show Israel and us that we can't keep them, that we fall short in thought, word, and deed, that we can't really keep them, and that we need someone else who has kept them perfectly for us. So the purpose of the law is to be kind of like a tutor, a teacher who is like, getting you ready for a test 
and he's showing you that you, you're not good enough and that you need a savior. That's ultimately what Romans and Galatians says. That the law of God was put there to show us that we can't keep it. And then after we do know God and we are believers, it shows us how to live and how to glorify God. And that once, we're, once we have Jesus in our lives and the Holy Spirit, we actually can obey and glorify God. But before we know Jesus, we're stuck in our sin. We can't really, we can't really obey. We can't really do it. We can't, we can't keep it. So Jesus, again, is trying to like help this guy see that he can't do it. <clears throat> so, but it says that he sought to justify himself. Oh, uh, where is it? Uh, yes. But, 29, but he desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So what's going on there? Okay. The, the Jewish people and the religious leaders had basically narrowed the neighbor clause to be only Jewish people who followed Yahweh. And if you look at a psalm like 139.21, it says, David is saying, Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? So David is, ma is making this prayer, and he's like saying, I, I hate those who hate you, Lord. And they would take a verse like this to basically say, we, don't, we are not responsible to love the other people out there other than the Jewish people. Now, this was wrong. Abraham was always told that you were to bless the nations. You are to bless those who bless you, bless those who bless you, and curse those who curse you. But ultimately, they were to be a light to the nations. When Jesus comes on the scene, you see him saying things like, "Love your neighbors, pray for those who persecute you, um, turn the other cheek." He's saying you should love, and you should be a servant. And ultimately, Jesus is the example of what it looks like to love. Right? Here's God who comes down to earth, pours out his light as a servant, and he washes our feet, and he ultimately goes to the cross and dies humbly as a convict for us, for you and me. So the king of the universe <coughs> puts on flesh and comes down and serves and loves people perfectly, loves God, keeps the law, and he ultimately dies for us on the cross. This is what love looks like. And so... The man had narrowed God's law to, to such an extent that he thought that he kept all of the law and that he thought that he did everything perfectly and he was seeking to justify himself. And so that's where he is at this point in the conversation. He's still thinking, I've got it all together. I'm putting Jesus to the test. I'm righteous. And again, Jesus is trying to devastate him and knock all of his pillars of, of, of his reputation and his righteousness away. And really, this is what God has to do to all of us, actually, to come to faith. Because he's got to show us that we're sinners, that we don't perfectly keep his law. Uh, he's got to show us that we're, we actually rely on ourselves. In order for like Jesus to become sweet to us, or the cross and the gospel to become good to us, we've got to see that like we need it, right? We have, we have a fatal disease. <laughs> and Jesus wants to show us that, like, our only hope is him. Okay, so he's seeking to justify himself. The question is, are you seeking to justify yourself? Am I seeking to justify myself? And the answer is yes. Because we have, our heart, 
when we don't love God and we don't look to God for our ultimate justification, you know what we do? We look to GPAs. We look to ESPN Fantasy Football League. We look to, we look to like all of our talents and gifts, our looks, right? We look to our how many steps we walk today on our pedometer. We look, we look to whatever it is to make us feel good about ourselves because yes, we accomplish that. And what what the gospel is saying is that all of these like false righteousness things we're trying to justify ourselves and best, and basically they're like a treadmill. And we just got to keep running because we can't get off of it like to feel good about ourselves. There's always something out there. And what the gospel is saying is like, relax. The gospel is saying you can't do it. Take a cruise with Jesus. It, 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 the gospel is saying we, we are sinners and we can't do it ourselves. We need another righteousness, something else to justify ourselves. And so that's what Jesus is trying to do with this parable of the Good Samaritan. So he shows him that he's bankrupt. This is the next thing. Um, so the, the entire story here is to show him that he can't do it. Um, so here's the story, right? And you guys know this story. That there's, there's a man, and this is a made-up story. These aren't real people. Parables, parables are stories. Jesus is telling stories, okay? But he's telling a story with a point. So he tells this story about this man who goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. And if you know your, your geography, I've never been there. I want to go to Israel. But <laughs> Jerusalem is up in the mountains, and Jericho is down in the valley. And it's like a 3,500-foot drop over 17 miles. And so this road was like a windy, like Colorado road, if you've ever been out west. Going down and down. It's a great place for robbers to hide. Everybody knew that. So he's like telling this story about this guy and so these robbers come right and they attack this dude and they 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 beat him and he's basically near death says he's half death he's stripped he's bleeding he's on the side of the road and so this is the this is the scene and then he these people start coming the first guy is a a priest and who are the priests well the priests were the descendants of Aaron in the Old Testament they were religious guys they worked in the temple, and they did all the sacrificial service for the temple. They knew the law. They worked with all the temple elements, the animals, you know, the sacrifices, the water, the bowls, all of, all of, these, all of these things. Ultimately, they represented people to God through praying and sacrificing. Um, and so he comes up to him and notices the man and then crosses to the other side. So what was going on here? Well, Leon Morris, the commentator, he says, since the man was half dead, um, the priest would not be able to determine his condition without touching him. You know, if he's knocked out or whatever, you know, he's like feeling for a pulse, like, you know, he's trying to wake him up, you know, to see what's going on. Well, if the man is dead, guess what? He's just broken the Levitical law, and now he's got to have ceremonial cleansing, and he can't go to work. So basically, he's saying, I'm not going to sacrifice my priesthood um, duties. I'm not going to do that. And so I'm out of here. I can't. I don't have time for this guy. Okay, so he passed to the other side. So now, in my mind, too, the lawyer is kind of sitting back saying, well, that's the priest, you know. And, and he's probably got attitudes about the religious leaders outside of his class of religious people. So the next guy coming is a Levite. 
Okay, again, works in the temple. They were like the assistants to the to the priests. And he comes by and again passes to the other side. The Levites in the Old Testament were the guys that actually took down and built the tabernacle. They were like the tent guys. They literally would, would carry the tent. They would carry the Ark of the Covenant, all these different things. They worked alongside the priests. And again, if he would touch the man, he would be ceremonially unclean. And so again, he chooses uh, religion and religious duty over love and helping a guy who's half dead over there on the side of the road. Now, the crowd, remember, Jesus is always telling these parables to like individuals, and also there's probably a crowd around them. They're thinking, oh, I bet you it's going to be like the religious Jewish lay people. They're going to be the heroes. They're going to be the ones who are going to come in and save the day and help the guy. And maybe the lawyer's thinking it's going to be the lawyer that's going to come in and like save the day. Right? Well, Here's the surprise, and, and all the parables have this surprise or this twist or like the gut punch. The gut punch is coming. It's the Samaritan, okay? The Samaritan comes, and he is the one that helps this man in an amazing way. Um, now, for those of you that don't know, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They hated one another. The Jews thought of the Samaritans as dogs, they were half-breeds, basically left over from the Assyrian Empire who came down and <coughs> conquered the northern Israel tribes, and they intermingled and married with them. And so they had their own, basically, race. They had their own religious. They only believed in, like, the first five books of the Old Testament. They had a different place of worship. They didn't go to Jerusalem. So they, they were like, these people are out. These, these people were hated by the Jews. This is why... Remember when Jesus went to the woman at the well? That was so surprising. The disciples are like, you know, they're amazed that he would go to this area because Jews and Samaritans did not talk. They did not mix. They didn't eat. And here is a Samaritan who is the hero of the story. They were barbarians, so to speak. And this is what is happening. And so how does he love? He loves in amazing ways, selfish, selflessly, sacrificially. He gives his time and energy, right? He uh, doesn't worry about what he's going to do. He literally goes and stays a day or two with him. His time and energy, he notices him. He has compassion on him. He touches him. He binds up his wounds. He puts costly oil, wine, brand septic. Transportation, right? He uses his own animal, takes him to the inn, pays for him, two denarii, Back then would be like two months worth of stay, hotel stay. It would be like two months worth of hotel stay. So like, I don't know, what would that be today? Like five or six thousand dollars? Okay. I don't know. Say if it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's like basically you're going to a hotel, you're paying a hundred to $150 a night. So multiply that by 60. Okay. So that's what you're doing. Huh? That's in the very honest life. Man, every time I go on like who's on, it's hard to get the little hungry. Um, so he, so anyway, he shows this amazing sacrifice. Um, he shows him mercy. And at the end, Jesus asks a question, and he says, "Which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor?" Okay, it's like the game show. And but it's interesting how the guy answers. How does he answer? 
Does he say the good Samaritan? No. He says the one who showed mercy. And my professor, Dan Doriani, said he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. That's how much he hated him. Couldn't even say the word, says the one who showed mercy. Which is true, but that shows a little bit about how much he hated him. So what, what, is, what is Jesus trying to do? He's trying to say, like, you can, you can love people with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You, can't, you, you don't love people. You have narrowed your love to this small group of like religious elites. You've not loved the broken. You've not loved the poor. You've not loved the widow. You've not loved the outsider, the alien, the stranger. You haven't loved foreigners. You haven't loved the Samaritans. The Samaritan is the one who shows love. And so, again, Jesus is trying to show this lawyer that he can't keep the law. And he's, and he's trying to show us the law that we can't keep the law, that we have fallen short. And so I want to tell this parable at the University of Maryland. So I'm going to change things around, okay? So here we go. So I think if Jesus were to tell this parable here at the University of Maryland, it would go something like this. So a young co-ed was coming home from Route 1 early morning at 2.30 a.m. from... Bentley's or the Cornerstone. There used to be Thirsty Turtle, but that's now the milk boy. And she missed, she missed the RUF uh, tent because we left at 1.30. This happened at 2.30, okay? And she was held at gunpoint, robbed, pistol whipped, assaulted right there at Route 1 by Frat Row as she was walking back to her apartment at the Varsity, okay? And just before she could push the blue button on the emergency station, she collapsed. And so there she was lying by that Welcome to Maryland sign on the edge of consciousness on Route 1, bloodied and beaten, her purse, iPhone 11 stolen. That's out, right? Just came out. And if that was not bad enough, her thumb drive was in her purse, which had her senior research project and she forgot to upload to the Google Drive, and that was gone, okay? So she forgot it. So suddenly, suddenly, out of nowhere, a student from crew came by, and they, were, they, they, saw, they saw her, but they passed, they passed on the other side, and he was, he was late to a small group Bible study, and, and then he had a date after that, so he couldn't get messed up. And so um, he, he went on the other side of Route 1. Next, a girl from... Intervarsity. Intervarsity came by. And she went on the other side, too, in order, in order to avoid the situation. She was busy. She had to get back home. Some friends were coming over to watch Bachelor in Paradise. And so that's where she was going. She, she, had, she had a busy schedule that night. Um, and so, so the next person came running down. And of course, it is the... Yeah, no, no. It was not. Stumbling, stumbling out of families came, came the president of the LGBTQ club at UMD. And they were, they were scootering, they, he, or she, was scootering down Route 1. And they noticed the girl, 
they're bloodied, unconscious on the side of the road. Without hesitation, they ran to the girl and checked out her vitals, called for help, 911, stayed with her as the police, the emergency came, followed the ambulance to the hospital, stayed all night, though they had a big chemistry final the next day. Once at the hospital, called their parents, waited for them to come, found out she had, do you know you can't call parents unless they're, if, if they're 18 or over, you can't even call their parents, FYI. Um, found this out. Um, once at the hospital, um, uh, found out that the, the girl had no insurance. So started a GoFundMe page right there and then and there and raised $15,000 in 24 hours. And mo mainly through LGBTQ folks who were helping her and paid her medical bills then and there. And even left their credit card for extra charges. So this means paying for x-rays, CAT scans, blood tests, etc. It was like $3,500 in fees. And so finding out she lost her thumb drive, spoke to the professor, got an extension, and then came back every day during the next week to visit her as she took, uh, as she took finals in between. All right, which of these three proved to be a neighbor? Okay, so what am I saying here? I'm saying that we have to love people. I'm saying that the gospel, if you know the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life, in your heart, that should make you a person who serves people and loves people and shows mercy to people no matter what or who they are. <laughs> no matter what their background or how they look or whatever their beliefs even. Or if they don't even accept Jesus. It means we're supposed to love people no matter what. That's what Jesus did. He loved his enemies and he ultimately died for us. Um, and so getting right with God, how do you get that ability to serve? I know we're going over. But you get right by God by the ultimate good Samaritan. You, you, you have a motivation of love because of another Samaritan that came for us. And this is the Christ-centered part of the gospel. Who is the true good Samaritan? This is all from Keller. Well, in the gospel, we have the picture of the good Samaritan. And it's the one who shows ultimate mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. Like the Samaritan, he was hated. He was despised by the religious leaders and by us. And he was rejected by us. And we hid our face from him. And we didn't want anything to do with him. And he was hated and ultimately killed on the cross. Because he was accused and falsely accused. And yet Jesus saw us in our need, in our brokenness, as we were laying there beside the road, broken, busted up in our sin, and without hope. And he's the one who stooped down all the way from heaven to wash us with his own blood and make us whole and forgive us our sins. And Jesus, in his sacrificial act of dying for sinners, he was pouring out his money. He was pouring out his time. He was pouring out his compassion. He was pouring out his very flesh and blood uh, for our salvation. Keller says, this is the gospel. All of us are hel lie helpless and bankrupt. Dying in the road. Jesus Christ, who is our natural enemy because we're sinners, who owes us nothing, nevertheless, stops and gives us of his spring of spiritual riches and saves us. So again, the story is pointing us how to be right with God. And it is saying we need to be responsible and love people and show mercy to people. 
But the motivation to do that is because of what Jesus has done for us as the broken people on the side of the road who he came to save. And so if you have his grace, if you, if you have his love, this will warm your heart. You will be broken of your pride. You'll be broken of, of you, won't, you, won't be, you won't be fearful of people that are different from you because guess what? You're a big sinner too. And so as you understand that God loves you, he loves you. He died for you. He came for you. He rose for you. You will, you will begin to have his joy and his motivation to love other people that are, di that are different from you and to pour out your, your life for them and to serve them and to, and to show them who Jesus really is. Who Jesus really is. Keller ends, he says this, Anyone who has seen himself as the man lying in the road is spiritually poor, will then live a life of generosity toward the outcast and the needy. Let me pray. Lord, we, uh, I know we went a little long, but we pray that you would revive our hearts. <laughs> help us to show, help, help us know uh, who you are as the one who died for the lost, who saves us. Help us uh, to know what are the foundations that need to be knocked off in our life. What are we relying on other than you? So, Lord, would you reveal that to us this, this night or this week, that you would show us our sins, show us Jesus and, and how much he loves us. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.